Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. We don't choose between experiences. We choose between the memory of an experience. And that is, for me, when I heard that the first time, I thought, bloody hell, that's profound. When you remember something, when something is activated in your memory, it's not activated in isolation. Instead, everything that's closely connected to it is also made active. The key word is managing, and that also means managing across functions, which is always a challenge. So it's not just about marketing, it's sales, it's customer service, etc. So you know, Ryan, that I enjoy fishing. I do. And there is a certain fishing tackle shop that I always go to called Discount Tackle on First Street in Bradenton in Florida. And the interesting thing for me is that I travel past maybe six or seven other fishing tackle shops to go to this particular one. Mm. And the interesting bit is that, it, you know, when you go inside, it's not like a Dick's or anything like that. It's nothing, you know, the displays aren't great or whatever. But what's great are the people. Mm. And when I go in there, we have a chat and we have a laugh. And so today, I believe we're going to be talking about, here we go, this is interesting. I believe we're going to be talking about memory. I should have remembered <laughs> that, shouldn't I? Yeah, apparently <laughs> uh, I didn't do a good enough job pitching it to you that you would remember explicitly. <laughs> we are, we are going to be talking about memory. I mean, your experience with the tackle shop really goes to the heart of everything we talk about on this podcast and in the book, the idea of this intuitive customer. And it's an idea that we have stated explicitly several times. Uh, it goes back to something that Kahneman has championed. Yeah. The idea is that people don't make decisions based on experiences so much as they make decisions based on their memories of experiences. Yeah. No, absolutely. And memory fascinates me, I have to say. And it was the video that Kahneman talked about this peak end rule. Yeah. And I always have to say peak end rule and pronounce that really well because somebody once said to me, what's this peak end rule? Um, as if it's some type of peak end nut <laughs> that I was using. A peak end rule sounds delicious. <laughs> Maybe we should change the topic of today's podcast. Baking with nuts, I think it's going to be then. Yeah, no, absolutely. Pecan nut is always a bit of a challenge. One of the biggest things that I've learned over the years has been this pecan rule and what Kahneman was talking about on the video that I first saw on YouTube was that we don't choose between experiences. We choose between the memory of an experience. Yep. And that is, for me, when I heard that the first time, I thought, Bloody hell, that's profound. Yep. And, you know, it really is. So let me repeat it again. We don't choose between experiences. We choose between the memory of an experience. So whilst I'm going to exaggerate now, that means that your experience 
it may not be as good as you want it to be, but if the memory of that experience is actually really good, then that's the key thing because that's the thing that people choose between when they are going to have another experience. So when I choose my fishing tackle shop, I choose it because of the previous memories that I've got of that fishing tackle shop. And let's be clear about why that's interesting, right? Because if your memory for experiences that you had was unbiased and perfect, then Kahneman's insight would mean nothing to you. Yeah. Because, yeah, of course you're choosing between memories. How else could it be? The reason that it's interesting is because our memories are imperfect and our memories favor certain types of information. So, you know, as you were just saying, it's not necessarily the case that a good experience translates into an equally good memory or vice versa. You can remember things as being better or worse than they are, which means that if you don't understand how memories work, you may be managing to the wrong things, right? Managing to the wrong metrics, to the wrong understandings. Yeah, no, absolutely. And let me build on that because you know that I get excited about this topic. This is your favorite thing. This is my favorite thing. So the interesting bit as well is that memories can be open or altered. Yep. So it's a bit like the way I always describe it is it's a bit like a Word document and you can open it up, you can make a little change and then you save it again. But what you haven't got is the previous version. <laughs> right. Yeah. In fact, the science is even more extreme than that, that the latest understandings of how memories work are that by remembering something, you are explicitly erasing it and rewriting it. Right. Which means that it's not even possible to just open the Word document and look at it and then close it again. You essentially open the Word document, erase it, and then rewrite it and then close it. So something is changing every time. Yeah. And so if you think about that, and let me now put my custom experience hat on for a moment, and you think about the implications of that, and you think about a customer complaint, and what you do every time that you ask a customer to repeat what happened, Yeah, every time you try to, you say to the customer, please justify why we should be doing this, you're effectively forcing them to open the document, yep. re-examine it, and they're probably then, you know, getting some bias of influences of feeling frustrated at having to do all this all the time. And it's probably, if I was a gambling man, changing it to a much more negative experience than it was in the beginning. It's certainly possible. I mean, it, regardless, we're altering things. Um, we'll have to see you know, in what direction or in what ways we're altering it. But for sure we are. Actually, when you also think about it, I took my daughter to see Garth Brooks a couple of weeks ago. And we've talked about that concert on five or six occasions. And I lay your money now, whilst it was a good concert, I lay your money, it started to get better in our memories, in our minds as we sort of replay it and in some cases literally replay some of the stuff because we're using the video that we took and all that type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you find that with a lot of kind of collective family memories, family experiences where they get retold and retold and re-experienced and they do, they change over time. A lot of times positive memories will become kind of more positive as you focus on 
just those key aspects of it and yeah. negative or frustrating memories will become more extreme. I think that's the general trend in this kind of re-remembering is that you get more extremity, both positive and negative. Yeah, no, absolutely. I remember going on one vacation and I won't bore you with what happened, but then going back there about 10 years later and you go, was really that here? It wasn't, right. This isn't as nice as I remember it being. And you know, yep. all those other wonderful things. So what's happening from a technical perspective with regard to memory? So this being science, there's not a simple answer to this question. Instead, what we have is we have kind of a series of theories, a series of approaches that we can take to understanding and managing memory. So one of your favorites, this peak end rule that we mentioned, and we, we did a whole podcast episode on that. I'm sure we will talk about it again. It's a very, very important idea. I don't know. Do you want to summarize real quickly for people the peak end rule since it's kind of your, your baby, your favorite? Yeah. Well, my baby in that I love it. And that you stole it from other people. Right? I wish I, mean, I that's could a way claim to have it. Baby, isn't it? <laughs> I think that's that happens all the time. Right? Yeah. Your changeling child. Yeah. So what Kahneman basically says is that what people remember in the peak end rule is they remember the peak emotion that they felt, and they remember the end emotion that they felt. Now the interesting part is the peak emotion could be a positive emotion, mm -hmm. or it could be a negative emotion. And he said that what we also remember is then the end emotion. And endings are exceptionally important. In fact, endings are more important than the peaks. So again, from a customer experience perspective, and a lot of the challenges that we give our clients is, where is the peak emotion that your customers are feeling during your customer journey now? Do you know? And if you don't know, you should. And moreover, what do you want them to feel? And do those things drive value for you? And obviously, this may sound a bit counterintuitive, but where's the end? Mm -hmm. Because actually, some of the problems with an experience is they may not even be an end. Right. There may be an end of that interaction. But, you know, if you think about your mobile phone company, you could be with them for 10 years. So what's the end emotion that your customers are feeling? It's the end of that experience from your customer's perspective. How are they processing that? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's peak end rule. So that's a great summary. I mean, it, mathematically, statistically, what they found is if they measure people's reactions to an experience kind of second by second, so if you give them like a dial, they can indicate how happy or unhappy they are. If you look at just the peak and the end and throw just those two points of data into a model, just an average of those two accounts for some huge portion of the variance in the model. Like it, it's just very, very predictable. That's one type of memory. And as powerful as the peak end rule is, as useful as it is, is only one way of looking at memory. The peak end rule applies specifically to the type of memory that we would call evaluative. So in this case, it's retrospective evaluation. So you had an experience and now you're looking back on it. How do you evaluate that experience as a whole? And one of the ways you do it is the peak end, right? So that's how you decide whether an experience was good or bad. But that's not the only way of evaluating memory and of thinking about memory. So there are other types of memories that have been studied. One kind uh, that we'll talk mostly about for the rest of the episode today is episodic memory. This is kind of the self, the autobiographical part of memory. So this is you looking back at previous 
trips to the tackle shop, not to determine did I like going there or not. That would be this evaluative memory. Yeah. This would be, you know, what happened there? Was I able to find what I looked for? What was the display like? Like what was my general experience with it? So when we talk about something like memory and episodic memory specifically, the metaphor that I use when explaining this to students is the metaphor of a fishing net. This doesn't tie into the tackle shop, does it? You know, it does now <laughs> that I've said it out loud and hadn't connected to me earlier. If you told a story about going to a bakery, we'd be talking instead about the pecan roll. <laughs> No, but I really like this fishing net. So people listening to the podcast, pay attention to this because this is important. And he's not saying that just because it's about fishing. (laughs) Not entirely. (laughs) When we think about this type of memory, this self-referential, this episodic memory, they used this uh, term called spreading activation. And the idea is that we've got our memories created by a bunch of nodes, a bunch of individual bits of data that are all tied together in a network like a fishing net, right? So that you can think of the nodes as being the knots in the net and then all of the rope strands connecting all of the knots, that makes up the network. And the idea is that when you remember something, when something is activated in your memory, it's not activated in isolation. Instead, that idea is kind of pulled up to the surface, but then everything that's closely connected to it is also made active and is pulled up a little bit. And then everything that's connected to that is also activated. So if you think about a fishing net and you've got it laid out flat on the floor and then you pick up one knot in the fishing net and you pull it up about two feet, then that knot, that node in memory is the most active, that's the highest. But then you've got a whole bunch of other knots that are directly connected to it that are also fairly high off the floor. And then you got a bunch of nodes that are connected to that, a bunch of knots. And those are also off the floor a little bit. So you're activating some central idea, and then there's this spreading activation that goes from there. And what I think so powerful from an imagery perspective is it's all connected. Right. So it's not like I had an experience two weeks ago, and that's completely separate to the experience that I've had. And each of those, so it could be, for me, the power of this is, that it could be that each of those knots are an interaction, a physical interaction, Mm -hmm. but it also could be that those knots are, I've passed a poster as I've driven down the freeway. It could be that that's a phone call. That could be that I've received an email from that company that has influenced or that's part of my fishing net now that influences how I think about those organizations. Excellent, right? So the reason that we use this fishing net metaphor, the reason we talk about the spreading activation model is for a couple of reasons, and you've gone straight to the heart of one of the big reasons why it's useful. We need to know how this net is then created because, so let's talk about a brand for a second. This is my preferred definition of brands is this network model of memory. For me, brands exist in the minds of your customers. So when they think about your brand, what are the things that they bring to mind? So you know, we can pick any brand, let's say Volvo, right? So when you think about Volvo, that node is now active. You've pulled up the Volvo knot in the fishing net and then cascading off of that is everything you've got connected with Volvo. So kind of what are the first things that come to mind when you think, you know, probably safety. 
yeah. is one. You know, maybe kind of a boxy design is another. Maybe personal experiences you've had owning or riding in a Volvo or the times that you've seen it on the street. All those things are active to a greater or lesser degree, depending on the structure of your memory around that central node of Volvo. Training your frontline team on how to create memories in your customers by evoking their emotions. Beyond Philosophy's unique and proven training methodology, Memory Maker Training. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. An interesting thought I was just having, and I've not mentioned this to you before, so it makes you wonder whether, so in a fishing net, the squares are uniform in sort of size, yeah? Very good, yeah. So it makes you wonder whether if you haven't interacted with that brand in some way or you haven't had any form of interaction, whether the holes are bigger in the fishing net and maybe even less connected probably would be, wouldn't it? Yeah, so, uh, you know, all metaphors break down at some point and one weakness of this fishing net metaphor is fishing nets do tend to be uniform in terms of distribution and networks and memory are absolutely not. So there are some of these nodes, some of these ideas that are very, very close together and some that are very far apart, right? They're still connected, but the connection is weak. And so when you want something to be a part of your brand or when you're managing customer experience, when you want something to be remembered as part of the experience, then your goal is to make the connections between those ideas very close and very strong. So that's the way these networks are formed is as you are experiencing something, your intuitive system is pairing ideas together and saying, oh, these things seem to co-occur a lot in nature. Let's tie those together in memory. And so your system one, your intuitive system is tying this fishing net together all the time. And as links fade, then that part of the fishing net kind of crumbles or, or you know, the squares, the holes in it get larger as you experience things where they're together again, then those get retied and tied close, more closely together. So Volvo emphasized safety in its advertising for decades. And so for people who experience that messaging, those knots are tied very closely together and are very strongly connected. And so Volvo is synonymous with safety in the minds of a lot of consumers. So that net is very, very well established. And one of the podcasts that we did a few weeks ago, which was which comes first, brand or CX, and worth listening to. Part of the output of that is to absolutely say that for us, the brand makes the promise in the marketplace. The customer experience, therefore, then delivers against that promise. So an example I always use in, in this scenario is a insurance company in the UK who run advertising that said, quote me happy. And they had images of all these people on the phone to this insurance company falling over backwards laughing because they were so pleased with their quote. Let me tell you, in reality, that never really happened. (laughs) (laughs) You're just not as excited about insurance as you should be, Colin. (laughs) I've told you this many times. You are right. I do have a life. So, (laughs) But the point being that what you've got to do is you maybe this is the interesting part of it you've got to manage your fishing net yeah so you've actually got to maintain your fishing net you've got to service your fishing net 
You've got to make sure that parts of your fishing net that drive value, in other words, that you get money from, or you know, you increase your net promoter score or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. are strengthened and aligned and all of those other wonderful things. And typically, most organizations don't do that and don't realize some of the what we would call subconscious interactions that you have in other words the things that are not consciously recognized by a customer you know are still part of that fishing net it's just and maybe this is an interesting analogy they're just below the surface but they're still part of the fishing net yeah no absolutely i mean if you want to push this fishing net metaphor further you can think of it as existing largely under the surface of the water and then as you remember something so under the surface of the water would be your subconscious. It would be the parts of your brain that you are not consciously aware of, yep. parts of your memory. And then when you remember something, that part of the net is pulled above the surface. So it may be that you remember consciously several of these nodes as they're all pulled up out of the surface together. But the stuff that you don't consciously remember and are aware of is still made more active. It's pulled closer to the surface, even if you're not aware of its influence on you, right? Yeah. So there are two bits of wisdom that you tossed out in your last little bit there that I want to go back and reemphasize because they're very, very important. Only two? Only two. In fact, just <laughs> barely two. I've been keeping track. It's been a long, slow podcast for me. So. No, there are two that are very important. So, I mean, part of the reason that I am so interested in customer experience is because of its effect on branding. Yep. I'm very interested in brands. I'm a marketing professor. And so when you talk about you know, the connection between brands and customer experience, Think about what goes into that fishing net, what goes into your memory, what gets remembered. So often experiences just swamp any other kind of information, right? When you're actually experiencing something, it tends to be multisensory. It tends to be, you know, self-referential. It tends to be part of your autobiographical history. These are all things that are very, very important to you and tend to get remembered. So, you know, you can have this slick branding strategy where you're emphasizing it through your, you know, integrated marketing communications and all the things that you're going to do in package design and all. And then if your customer experiences something that's different from that, you've just blown your entire branding strategy out because people just feel those experiences so powerfully. So those are going to dominate your fishing net. So if you're not managing your customer experience as part of your branding initiative, what are you doing? Yeah. I totally agree. And the key word is managing. And that also means managing across functions, which is always a challenge. So it's not just about marketing, it's sales, it's customer service, et cetera. Everybody's trying to maximize on their own dimensions, not realizing that they're all contributing to building the same network structure, all contributing to building the same fishing net. So the other idea that I wanted to emphasize here was this idea of managing the fishing net, of managing memory, and how do you do that optimally? And, you know, the unfortunate news for people in customer experience and people in marketing who are looking for kind of the next great, cool thing that they can, you know, play around with or or great initiative that they can try, managing memories is really boring and unsexy. Memories are formed by that automatic part of our brain 
that notices things co-occurring and ties them together. And that tends to be this process of repetition and reinforcement. So it's just, it's being consistent over time. And that's hard for managers who are constantly wanting to try something new and, you know, really shake things up. But if you want to manage memory, you know, think back to your elementary school days when you needed to remember your part for the school play. It was just reading it over and over and over again to get it stuck in your brain. That's the way memory works. So managing memory is unsexy. And that's where the repetition comes in. You just need to repeat it yeah. over and over. I mean, Volvo, you know, Volvos aren't any safer than other cars nowadays. Yeah. I pull up some data when I teach this in class and I show them that the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety several years ago ranked, I don't remember what it was, something like 140 cars as being you know five-star crash test rated, so the safest category. Yeah. And out of those 140, something like six were Volvo models. Sure. So it's not that Volvo makes unsafe cars. They don't. Sure. Volvo's cars are very safe. It's just that everybody else makes safe cars. Yes. So there's nothing that is there anymore. Yes. But if you ask anyone my age or older to name a safe car, they'll tell you Volvo. Yeah. Right away. Why? Because Volvo was so unsexy, right? They just hammered on that safety message over and over and over again for decades Till they owned it. And that for me is, you know, the evidence of this stuff being done sort of intuitively is just, you know, just think about adverts and how many times they're played and, yeah. you know, constant repetition of the message. But a key word that, that I just want to throw in here quickly before we pull this to a close is the word consistency. Yes. Because consistency is absolutely key in this. Because if different parts of the organizations are doing different things and you can now imagine what your fishing net looks like, there's no consistency. So therefore people get confused and therefore the repetition, you know, is not there. But think of if you've got an experience that is consistent across all of the channels. Uh, now, again, you're starting to make things a lot better. And I mean, we should point out it can even be worthy things, right? So if there's one arm of the organization that is really devoted to efficiency and wants to make sure that, you know, customers get what they need quickly and are out the door. And another part of the organization is really focused on high quality service and spending the time that they need to. And another is focused on, you know, getting customers the best price that they can. All of those things are things that customers would say are great, but it's creating a mess of a memory structure. Your brand may mean nothing in particular to those customers. So great conversation, love this conversation. But again, let's go back to some practical things. What is it that people can do? So, you know, they've heard this, all this stuff sounds great, but what is it you need to do? So, I mean, my advice is to figure out what is it that you want your customer experiences to mean to people? What do you want them to remember about those experiences? And be consistent about that. Make sure that every time, people have an experience with your organization, with your brand, that those elements that you want to be remembered are there and are repeated and are consistent because that's how memories work. And that's how you win playing the memory game. Yeah. 
And for me, and I'll just reinforce that, you know, there are some key questions that we always ask our clients at the beginning of any engagement with them. The first one is, what's the experience that you're trying to deliver? Okay, because for us, without being able to effectively articulate what the memory is that you're trying to form, then, you know, by definition, everybody will be doing different things. So what's the experience that you're trying to deliver? What emotions are you trying to evoke? So let's go back to peak end rule and go, actually, we should be defining the emotions that we're trying to evoke. And guess what? Those emotions should drive value for you. Mm -hmm. And again, in the research we do with clients, you know, that's really important to define those emotions. And the third aspect of that, you know, is then getting that sort of articulation and getting that consistency and think about your fishing net. Think about how are you going to build the fishing net? What are all those nodes of the fishing net? You know, which parts of this fishing net are actually the ones that drive most value for us? How are we doing today in our fishing net? And then it does just get to the boring stuff of doing things consistently. And that means, again, defining it, doing a journey map. It means measuring it, you know, so you can then see, how, you know, what you're doing and how you're improving, etc. But, you know, let me leave you that last thought, which is, we don't choose between experiences. We choose between the memory of an experience. And that for me is really fundamental. So thanks very much for everybody listening today. Ryan and I have got one favor to ask you. We would ask you to tell somebody about this podcast this week. So this week, maybe it's this episode, just tell somebody to go in and listen to this because, you know, we get turned on when we see our numbers going up, we see great feedback coming in and, you know, that's what's been occurring. So it's really great. But we would really ask you to uh, just tell somebody about the podcast and that would help us. And thanks very much. And hopefully we formed a good memory today and we'll uh, see you next week. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.